Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Bow Lounge podcast, a podcast created and produced by students at the University of York Boat Club with the aim of continuing the conversation about rowing during lockdown and into the hopefully COVID-free future. My name is Greg Forrest. I'm a fourth year biochemistry student and currently the senior men's captain here at the boat club. In the next few episodes, you'll hear from club members and external guests who will share their thoughts and wisdom on all things rowing. In this episode, Roisin Alston, now in her third year of coxing and one of the novice women's captains this year, sits down with club president Michael Senior to discuss his background at the club, how the club has adapted during lockdown and what he hopes the club will look like in five years' time. Whether you're about to head out for your morning run or sitting down ready to crack on with that essay, I hope you enjoy what this episode has in store. Okay, so apart from rowing, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, I'm a fourth year physics master's student. Nice. Uh, so spend most of my time doing that, allegedly. And then I also work for Asda part-time, so I drive a delivery van around North Yorkshire. Do you like it? Yeah, it's great. Oh, wow. It's a cushy job. Oh, very nice. Yeah, get to listen to the radio and podcasts. I can't wait to listen to this podcast in the van. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be blaring out. What a plug. <laughs> <laughs> so me and you go way back mm. to the start of my rowing career. Um, uh, the you... old man and woman of the club. <laughs> I hate that so much. The first boat that I ever coxed, I believe you were in it, and which one was that? It was a it was a four, with Kian, Kieran. Oh no! <laughs> was it like Yorkshire Head? I remember this with Kian, Kieran, and oh, Charlie. Charlie. Charlie oh, Biddlecombe. There is footage somewhere of me catching a massive crab about mm. 200 metres out from the finish. I mean, I don't remember that. And he's got it. It's bad. <laughs> we it's real bad. Dig that up somewhere. Please, don't. Also, the 2019 Head of the River race. Ah, uh, yes. I'm sure you were in yeah. that boat as well. Yeah, How we were the only boat that didn't have an absolute nightmare, I seem to remember. Because the that Great was the year team. of um, Get Out of My Way. Oh, the, the top legend, senior boat. get out of my way, yeah. And then the novice boat had a rigger fall off, so... <laughs> we were just cruising. Yeah, the club has come a long way since then. <laughs> cruising around the Thames, <laughs> yeah. as per usual. Mm. That's good. Um, I don't actually remember it too much. Yeah, no, we did all right. Yeah. Antoine sure was stroking, I remember that. I do remember mm. that. He, it was so funny, we pulled off the start line and... We were doing the whole draw, 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 and then Antoine just comes in to the catch, like really close to me, and just goes, "Oh my gosh, I've just seen an otter!" And I was like, "Dude, you're in, you're in a race. This is not the time to be like wildlife spotting." <laughs> Interesting fact, though, I'm the last remaining member of the club to ever have raced White Rosehead. The legend that is White Rosehead yeah. doesn't even exist. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Maybe it's all a conspiracy theory that I'm making up. Why is it always cancelled? Oh, the river floods. And it's weather. Just, it's and just weather yeah, related. All weather. Well, because they, they run it at the beginning of December, don't they? Yeah. So it's literally the worst time to run an event on the ease. God. Which it, is it why really hopefully is. Yeah. going forward we'll have like a white rose regatta. I've been speaking to the race coordinators about that. Have They're very we? keen on organising that this summer. Um, but whether that will be able to happen this summer, we don't know. Fingers crossed. Mm. So, did you hold a position before senior men's captain? Or no, did you just no, no. go straight in? I remember it was on training camp in second year when um, 
I guess Tom was captain at the time. And we, you know, training camp was over Easter, so it was kind of around the time that everyone was starting to think about it. Um, and yeah, I kind of just got pushed towards it from other people in the squad. I remember Greg and Tom Osborne, who has since left the club, were kind of suggested I should go for it. And so I started giving it some thought and ended up going for it. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Um, and again, for president, was it just a natural progression from senior um, men to president? That often happens for the past it has happened. of years it has, at least. It happened with Tom, didn't it? Um, I think that was more about a frustration with the state of affairs with UCU and the uni. Mm. I feel like for the first three years I was at the club and ever since, you know, alumni talk about it all the time, kind of describing Yusu and uni as the enemy of the boat club and kind of not giving us enough money. And in actuality, it's not true. And all they've done this year is be very helpful, you know, getting the ergs in the dome and this boathouse refurbishment recently. None of it could have been possible if we didn't have a good relationship with people like Keith, um, head of sport, and Maddie, who's the sports press. So I think it was just a frustration that I felt like the club, there was so much more potential the club could be realising if instead of isolating ourselves, we actually kind of worked with UCU and worked with other clubs a little bit more. Right, Um, yeah. So yeah, it was just born out of that. Yeah, and do you think that relationship has been strengthened for the future? Yeah, no, I think so. based on who's the president kind of yearly? Well, I've been quite fortunate this year that Maddie and I are quite good friends anyway. Yeah. um, From before I was president. Yeah. Um, You know, having discussed with her, obviously she's been sports pres for two years and she's always commented that the relationship with the boat club has been a little bit weird. Um, And I think... Maybe that's just a consequence of us kind of being very separate from the York Sports Centre anyway. You know, we're the only club with our own facility and we yeah. kind of just train off the ground, out of, yeah. off campus, kind of out of the, the York Sport gaze, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think anyone that runs for sports prayers is by definition really keen to improve sport broadly at the uni, you know. Exactly. Um, so I think it's really important for whoever's president and actually the entire committee to just be really proactive in working with them um, and, you know, getting them down to training. It's obviously a little bit more difficult for them to see us train because we don't do it at the York Sports Centre like everyone else, mm-hmm. uh, except for Ergs, obviously. Um, and then as well as the York Sport Press, obviously, you've got Keith, who's been around for God, more than 10 years, I should think. So he's the head of sport yeah. at the uni. Um so he can be really helpful in getting facilities and just getting things across the line, working with estates, working with the uni administration. Um, yeah, and I think that's another relationship that we've kind of let fall by the wayside previously. But Keith actually loves rowing, so I don't know why. Is he that's part ever... of any of the staff rowing? Or... No, he's not. Right, but okay. But just Maybe. Let's get him out. Yeah. <laughs> why not? <laughs> We need to get him out on the launch. I think he's been out a couple of times, but, you know, I think I think Keith and, and Maddie and just York Sport in general really value performance sport. Yeah. You know, and they really, what they want to do is, is support students who are putting in a lot of effort to mm-hmm. their sports clubs, whether that be on the committee side, but also, you know, when you see a club like ours is 
probably unique in the in the amount it trains you know we're talking i agree twice a day mo- most days during a normal non-covid timetable yeah um and even now you know we're one of the only clubs that is still really functioning let alone having daily zoom sessions and you know scheduling proper training plans every week exactly um, so how many i'm just trying to think how many hours do you think in lockdown we have been training uh let's go with seniors oh God. instead of novices so you've got two hours of circuits a week you've got the yoga you've got all an two hour steady each. states which can be it kind of varies doesn't it mm-hmm. but probably a good like 10 hours a week i should think yeah right i just think it's really important to not let lockdown kind of stunt our growth i think every year especially i mean with the novices obviously you start off some even never have been doing sport in their lives and then going to training 16 hours a week well i think it was something it was something i was definitely worried about and i think you were probably worried about it as yeah, well was the sure. novice recruitment and yes, how yes how would we take novices on yeah and get them really committed to the club when yeah. you know a lot of them haven't been on the water yet some of exactly some of them have never rode in a boat before and yet here we are in march and they're doing all of the steady states all Mm. of the heavy work um and it's really really impressive to see actually i went into this year thinking oh my gosh like i probably won't have a squad this year yeah because really i was struggling to see who would be committed enough to do something that they've never done before um, and keep it going yeah no I think it speaks to the work of the entire committee you know um, I agree you know captains regularly putting on training I think it makes it so much easier to commit to a club even if you know yeah all the novices want to go on the water of course but just seeing that the club is regularly training and there is yeah. still that continuity there yeah I think is really encouraging for novices um, and of course Ema give her a massive shout out for the of well-being course. support of that she's course. been giving everyone yeah uh, i think that's made it such a it's been very impressive it's, it's been such an important part of being part of the club this year is kind of the the socials and and the chats and the well-being resources well, exactly about that i was going to say i think a massive part of it is being the biggest sports club on campus mm. um you know even if you haven't fully committed to the water training as many of the novices can't that's one aspect that is just so big it's almost as important as the water training in a lockdown to be able to socialize still with 50 plus people yeah coming to a social well it's crazy some some clubs you know york sport and UCU are talking about doing free memberships just so some clubs can feel committed exactly and yet we're still we're already talking about having you know massive competition for a lot of the committee positions and exactly nov- even novices who haven't been on the water dead keen to run for elections so. yeah yeah it's crazy i've it's seen crazy. a lot of um hype around you know social sectaries oh, yeah. and yeah. press and pub mm. they're getting a lot of competition communications so officer this year sorry that's an early officer. leak but yeah <laughs> exclusive exclusive <laughs> podcast leak <laughs> so what is the committee looking like this year I know some of the positions are changing. You're keeping some. Yeah, so... Merging some. I think one of the good things about the pandemic has been that 
the role of president, which is usually very hands-on and mm. very involved in all the sessions and the racing and the training, it's kind of given me the opportunity to take a step back and look at how the club could be better long-term or things we could improve on. Um, one of the things I found really difficult this year is working with such a large committee. Um, we have 27 committee members this year. That is big. It is. And, you know, it's diff- you can't even fit them all on one Zoom page, let alone in a, in a room. You know, if you think if we were outside of a pandemic, you know, you can't have an effective committee meeting with 27 people in the same room. Right. Um, and I think with that comes a tendency for some people to get lost in the anonymity of the, the large committee as well. So exec this year have, have been working together on how we can improve the committee structure going forward and yeah. I think reducing the size of it is really important and you know ideally I think we need to get rid of this exec wider committee divide you know, I, obviously I won't be here next year so it's up to next year's president <laughs> to do whatever they want to do but I've always thought that having an exec committee that meets pretty much every week and then a wider committee that kind of do you know a meeting every term if that it's a bit counterintuitive you think to it's me. ineffective it is ineffective but it's also a consequence of there needing to be a smaller group for an effective committee meeting to actually take place and right. for things to actually get done yeah so i think if we you know the plans at the moment are to reduce the committee to about 16 which is only four more than exec at the moment you know so we're talking almost halving the committee really yeah yeah um and then kind of having some some non-committee positions that can help with certain duties and responsibilities. So you'd have some people on committee that lead teams of non-committee positions. It will become, you know, it will all be published in, in, in April because it is very much in like the draft phase. We're still getting a lot of feedback from committee members. Um, but yeah, I think we as a committee are really keen to, to set up next year's committee and and just the club generally going forward in the best way possible. And I think if you look at other clubs, um, you know, York City, for example, they have a very small committee. Right. Um, and I think it just allows the club to run much more efficiently. Uh, and just the communication amongst committee members is so much easier. Do you think that, you know, as we've said, being the biggest sports club, there's a lot of people to take into account, but only having a small amount on committee, do you think that kind of reduces reduces the amount that people can have a say in the club? So I actually think this year, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I really wanted to improve coming in as president was the transparency of the club. So one thing we've started doing this year is publishing all the minutes on the Google Drive. Um, and there is actually a way for people even who aren't on committee, to suggest agenda items to be discussed at committee anonymously. So I think we've done a lot to increase inclusivity at the club. But when it comes to committee, I think, you know, having a committee of 27 people is just not effective, you know. And even having a committee of 16, that would still make us one of the biggest committees at York. Yeah. and, you know, it is, it is really important as a club that it, to remember it is entirely student run and that the decisions of committee members do matter and the work that the committee members do does matter. So it's important that 
when people think about running for committee, they understand that there are actual responsibilities and duties associated with it rather than it just being a title an ever expanding committee of titles which tend to you know not end up actually having that much impact we're fast forwarding to five years in the future (laughs) where where are you seeing the club what does it look like it it does as i just kind of mentioned it largely depends on who runs for committee and who puts themselves forward. So um, in your... In my mind... In the perfect mind... No, that sounds like you've got the perfect mind. Okay. Well, <laughs> I do, but... <laughs> <laughs> if you could picture the club in five years, what would it look like to you? I think over the last few years, with Rob as head coach, um, who's obviously since left, we've, we've been moving towards... A high performance trajectory where the club has kind of been moving away from being quite small being focused on people who have rode before uni yeah and being a little bit of a you know go to a few regional local races towards you know this this beast that has a <laughs> as a competitive novice program and you know is developing these these high performance athletes and we're going to bucks and we're going to to henley women's and we're we're going to Henley qualifiers um and I think there's no reason why we just can't continue on that trajectory you know after the the last few years we've increased year on year pots one um yeah you know last year we came very close to qualifying for the PA yeah um, at Henley Royal uh, we obviously had a few boats at Henley Women's last year as well um so you know I I, I think traditionally this this club has always been in that middle third, is how Rob always used to describe it. Right. You know, of, of uni clubs, very middle of the road. But there's no reason why we can't break into that top third, I think, with the right attitude, the right leadership, you know. Um, and if we, we maintain that that high-performance training plan that has kind of been put in place, um, yeah, why not? Why, so just, why not? just more of the same thing, but getting better and better every year. I think so. I think I think a lot of these changes that Rob put in are only starting to be felt now. I think a lot of it is very long term, you know. Um, when you think that I joined as a novice in Rob's first year. Oh, yeah. So anything he taught me or taught any of our cohort of, of novices ultimately took a couple years to actually bed in to, to become senior rowers. What do you think are the main things that... Rob taught the club. I think it's just the culture of hard work. Yeah, I, think, I agree. I think, I think people now don't miss erg tests. They don't miss ergs. They don't put themselves down as available for one water session a week. You know, there's a real desire from everyone in the club to do all of the training, not just some of the training, and to do all of the races and to push racing crews all the way to Bucks and all the way to Henley. Um, so yeah I think I think it was just that culture that he's ingrained in the club and I hope obviously now is the first year that there are some there are some people in the club that will have never met Rob I hope in three four years time that culture will still be here and I think it can be even if Rob's not I think if we do a, a good enough job at handing that down um, and kind of taking the continuity that Rob brought us and having that come from the captains and from the volunteer coaches as well 
So you think a club can run perfectly without an employed head coach, all being student run, volunteers, etc. I think it's difficult because Rob really came into the club and kind of turned it around. And he spent his three years really ingraining that culture. Um, would that culture have come about naturally if Rob hadn't been employed by the uni? I'm, I don't know. I, I think it just depends on the kind of people you, you have coming in as students. You know, I don't, I don't think York is a, is a university that can attract rowing talent based on its rowing programme. Or at least it certainly didn't three, four years ago. So, yeah, I, I think if you've got the right people and I think if people that feel like they can contribute to the club and feel like they would do a good job are brave enough to put themselves forward for elections, um, you know, and are willing to, to dedicate some of their time to the organisation of the club. Yeah, there's no reason why we can't build on the progress that Rob has made. Um, but I think in an ideal world, yeah, we would have paid coaching. I think it's important to have a figure of continuity and I think Rob is kind of a Rob's work with the club is kind of a testament to what can be achieved if we do have a head coach position at the club and I think it's actually something a lot of sports clubs across the uni could benefit from not just rowing um, so it's a shame that he ended up leaving but yeah we've got to make the best of the situation and make sure his work you know isn't for nothing I think the role of the training coordinator has actually tried to make that happen to the best mm. um, of our ability it's given someone that position of continuity as you were just talking about yeah I mean it, it was obviously a new position this year yeah and it was kind of brought in as an immediate reaction to us not having a head coach so to have you know Charlie as training coordinator this year I think has done a really good job of of maintaining relationships with the coaches um you know, and without without stepping into the head coach role, but being more of a point of contact for, you know, collaborating the training plan and to draw upon all the volunteer coaches' yeah. thoughts and captains as well. I think it's really important that we've kind of replaced that rather than it just being a little bit of a, you know, I think the worst thing that could have happened is it descend into each squad for their own, you know, and each yes. novice captain yeah. and each senior captain kind of working with their squad coach and developing like a particular training plan for their squad. You know, I think it is really important that we have that overall club picture going forward. Yeah, I agree. And I think a really good way to do that is all training together all the time. So on yeah. Zoom, everyone's yeah. training together, you know, novice women with senior men. And I don't think you necessarily even get that in real life the training we had obviously circuits together as a club yeah um, I think in a way we're actually doing more training together now no exactly than we were I agree. yeah because the only whole club training we would ever do would be circuits you're right and even then you could easily fall into kind of friendship groups yeah, yeah. um this has given it a really good opportunity I think to see that other people are doing the same training that you're doing and even though it feels like you're doing it yourself in your bedroom or your living room and things like that, you are actually doing it with, you know, 90 plus people on the same Zoom call as you. Yeah. Um, I mean, the fact that the fact that novices know seniors and the seniors yeah, know the novices, exactly. you know, by first name and, you know, chat to each other. You know, that's something that doesn't usually happen at the club until kind of January, February yeah. Yeah. time, maybe even later when we all start going to the same races. 
Um, so yeah, I think in a way, actually, we've been socialising and seeing each other a lot more, um, which I think, yeah, again, is a testament to, you know, the work of, of Charlie and, and the captains and, and Ema as well. Yeah, yeah. So on Ema, actually, we haven't got her in. Um, <laughs> for a future podcast for episode, Maybe sure. for a future podcast, Ema could tell us more. Um, how important do you think a role of safety and welfare officer has been? Oh, yeah, so important this year. Um, and I think Ema has kind of made the role her own this year as well. I you know, agree. I think yeah, um, 100%. I actually remember in my first year as a novice, I was, because obviously I, I came in as a mature student um, and I was kind of thinking about running for committee straight away. Kind oh, of wow. had it in the back of my mind. In the novice and, year? Yeah, well, uh, but my, my novice captain, I remember him saying, um, oh, you should just run for safety because it's a free ride on exec. Those were exact words. Know. You know, the, the perception being that the safety officer on a, sat on exec but didn't really have as many responsibilities as yeah. maybe the captains or the president yeah. or whoever, whoever else. Um, you know, but I think what Ema's done this year, you know, in addition to, to signposting all the wellbeing resources, has really put mental health at the forefront of all the decisions the committee is making. Um with training and selection, uh, but also kind of establishing an injury framework and yeah. starting to work on how we can do better at bringing injured rowers back into into full training, yeah. kind of establishing a precedent for that. Um, yeah, and obviously the work she's doing at the moment with uh, reducing financial barriers to the sport, you know, that's kind of in, in its early days, but we're looking at establishing a, an accessibility fund. Um, I think that is a great idea well yeah because the what you know there's no denying that rowing is exactly super white super middle class super expensive right so anything that we can do even if it's only on a club level i think to diversify the club and make it a little bit more inclusive um, would be great and much needed in, in the rowing community i think so the USU elections have been going on recently, not mm. just sports president. I know we've talked about that. Um, everything from activities to general president. Yep, both people um, I endorsed lost, so pick up. So you endorsed people. Is that not quite tricky? Yeah. It... If they don't win and then you've endorsed someone else. Well, we're in quite a good situation this year because both sports presidents who are, I mean, if there's one role on the UC board it's the sports press that is kind of relevant to us um both sports press had sports press candidates had very strong manifestos um the reason i ended up endorsing nick was that he had been on the york sport union committee um he reached out very early to understand the boathouse needs right and he just seemed like the safe bet in terms of continuity because he'd been on the york sport union committee he'd worked with maddie for so long Perhaps during a pandemic, it would be easier to get things going again with that that continuity. But obviously, Frankie ended up winning. Um, and Frankie and I had a great chat before the elections. Um, and she was, you know, she asked some great questions. Okay. Um, she's very keen to increase support for non-traditional clubs. So most clubs compete Wednesday afternoons yeah. in like Bucks leagues, you know, football, rugby, netball. Um, but she's really keen to to increase support for that. Um, and just high performance 
sport across the board. So although I may have endorsed Nick, I'm not disappointed with the outcome because I think Frankie is, is going to do a great job. Sorry, I, I had a squeak on my chair. Squeaky chair for you. So has she mentioned anything in her manifesto or just in the chat to you about what she's going to do for the boat club? Well, it's it's difficult for these candidates, yeah, I course. think, because they don't want to make promises that they can't follow up on because they know they will be held to account for every single manifesto promise they make. Based on yeah. our chat, I think Frankie and I are very much on the same page with what I consider the boat club's kind of two main priorities, which I think is coaching. So more coaching support, coaching funding, perhaps looking at that from a university perspective, maybe as part of the sports strategy to look at whether investing in, in coaching positions is is a good move for the uni, which I think it definitely is. And then also facilities. So, you know, it's the boathouse built in the 70s hasn't really been touched since then. Obviously, we've got the refurb work going on recently, which it is great. Good. It does look great. Um, you know, I think it would be nice to have a little bit more of a connection to estates and the campus and just facilities in general. You know, I think yeah. the boathouse is easily forgotten about because it is off campus and it is just us that use it. You know, the the refurb work we've got going on at the moment, I think will will do a lot with the space that we have. Um, but, you know, we, there, there are discussions about, about the facility investment that the university has made in the last 10 years, and it's been pretty much zero. You know, as as yeah. as student numbers have increased, the, the sports facility investment has not matched that, despite the Uni of York having one of the highest participation rates in sport for a university in the country. So, obviously, the pandemic kind of put a spanner in the works, but I know that uh, the VC is very keen to to develop a sports strategy that looks at sport facility investment. And I am keen to push the boathouse to be towards the top of that priority list. But, yeah. You know, it is worth bearing in mind that as a facility, it is only used by one club. And when there is money to go around, I think often the university sees better investments in things like the three G pitches or twenty two acres when communal. Yeah, when you've got hundreds of students from yeah. American football and rugby and football to 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 use those facilities. Um, but I actually think that has been a problem uh, on the uni's part in 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 the past that every time sports clubs have to to beg cap in hand for any kind of funding for facilities you know it's kind of drip fed yeah and it ends up just going towards facilities that affect the largest number of students which is understandable but it also leaves a lot of these facilities like the boathouse like Derwent squash courts as another example just completely untouched since the 70s or 80s i think that kind of goes back to where do you see the boathouse in five years because if it is drip fed then it's a struggle to kind of plan long term it's very yearly or even termly basis that you can see the boat club progressing i think we are now getting to the point that we are outgrowing our boat house yeah the the storage in particular we've pretty much reached capacity um and you know the men's changing room is obviously way too small for purpose um and the same for the women's changing room actually 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think in an ideal world, we'd obviously have a new boathouse, but we're talking one to two million pounds of investment on, on the part of the uni there, which would be a massive <laughs> U-turn in sports policy from them. Um, but, you know, never say never. I think I think it really depends on what this sports strategy development looks like. Mm-hmm. I think Frankie is going to be a really strong voice for us in that regard. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll also be talking with, with Patrick, the, the re-elected president, um, and Sophie, who's been elected activities officer, because I think the more people we can have making that case for sport generally at the uni, the better. And yeah, I think I think just investment in sport has been long overlooked by the university. And I think you look at other universities like Bath, Bristol, Loughborough, Edinburgh, Durham, they've invested in sports facilities and they've invested in high performance sport. And with that has improved academics and has improved student life yeah. and has improved all sorts of other you know indicators of uni performance as a consequence so and attracted high performance well exactly you know if you club. have if you if i think one thing you can say about rowers is that they are an unbelievably determined and motivated group of people you know to have the the, the motivation to to train twice a day and then to also have a full-time degree I think there are a lot of athletes who would be more inclined to come to the University of York if the facilities were of a better standard. And I think a lot of a lot of the qualities that make people good athletes, like this hard work, drive and commitment and time management also make you a really good student. So I think it would benefit the university much more broadly. Um, to invest in student life a bit yeah more. yeah i agree so walk us through the refurb that's just been happening the refurb walk you through yeah so the bulk of the work has been done it's not quite finished but um basically we've moved the women's changing room into the porter cabin i know probably most of the rowers won't even have been yeah. inside the porter cabin it's it's been there for five six years completely unused because there's just not the space there's there were two changing rooms in there why was it set up in the first place so the porter cabin was installed to give the club access to shower facilities for safety reasons right um this was way before my time but it was not thought out in terms of the use we would actually get out of the facility um you know it's it's broken up into kind of five different rooms and there's like a million doors in there and there's two separate changing rooms, which, you know, you could you could fit maybe two people in each, let alone, you know, social distancing measures nowadays. So yeah, well, yeah. Um so what we've done is basically on the on one half of the porter cabin, we've just stripped everything out. Okay. To make like a big changing area, which then still has a separate shower and toilet facility on the other side. And then that will turn the current women's changing room, so the big room in the main building into sort of a club room so you know we'll get some sofas in there some storage uh projector some video analysis yeah um, and would also give everyone access to the kitchen facilities as well yeah um because obviously it's quite difficult for for the guys to get water and to maybe heat up some food if if you've got like 20 30 women changing in there it can be a bit awkward so yeah i mean as i said 
we are pushing up against the limits of what the boathouse can hold, I think. But I think the refurb will allow us to get much better use out of the space that we do have. And also just makes it look a bit nicer. You know, the walls have been repainted. The floors have been repainted. It's clean <laughs> for the wow, first time imagine. in like 50 years. So, um, yeah, it should be nice. So brand new boathouse coming soon. <laughs> Another exclusive. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, I mean, the brand new boathouse is the dream, but until then, we can make do with a refurbished one. Okay, well, thanks for joining me. Ah, pleasure. Today, Michael, and giving us the insider gossip. Who's who's on the next episode? Oh, that is a great question. Or do you not know yet? Is it secret? Of course. You're allowed to tell us. It is, and I can confirm, the coaches. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we're getting Andy and Sean. Oh, wow. Have a bit of a conversation with them about... Three-hour episode, then. (laughs) But that's what people want. Oh yeah, of course. Wow. Well, <laughs> it was lovely to chat to you, Rasheen, as always. As and, always, uh, I'm gonna be off to the boathouse. So okay. I'll see bye. you later. I will see you later. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the first episode of the Bow Lounge podcast. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word on social media. We're at the Bow Lounge on Instagram and Twitter. You can also email us at thebowlounge at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your episode suggestions. Again, feel free to send us a message on social media or ping us an email. Next up on the Bow Lounge, we're focusing on the coaches here at UIBC. Firstly, we talk to Andy Robertson, who's our senior women's volunteer coach, and then to Sean Potter, our senior men's volunteer coach in the following episode. But from the team here at the Bow Lounge, thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more.